welcome to a, another episode of Thoughtful Christianity. It is Jay and Josh in the same room? Back in person. In the studio. Reunited and it feels so good. Mm, amen. What a blessing. Yeah, we're uh, coming to you, not live, but in person yet again. In my bedroom. Yep. <laughs> my place, childhood bedroom. <laughs> the place where it all began. The place that will one day be enshrined and talk, written about richly in the texts of history books and you know, all sorts of other prominent publications yes. around the world. but And we can say that because Thoughtful Christianity is already one of the most popular podcasts that's ever been released. <laughs> so we're off the charts. I mean, uh, did you not know that under our recommended is Joel Osteen? Meaning that people who've listened to us, like we're the ones who are helping Joel Osteen. No, I don't want to say that. I was going to say we're the ones helping Joel Osteen get popular. But uh, no, not that. Yeah, no, but we are excited to be back here. Yes. You know, it's, I think it just adds a certain mystique that's hard to capture, perhaps. A je ne sais quoi. Perhaps. Um, that is not available uh, when we do our other remote setup. Yeah. Well, and, and this hopefully will become uh, much more common. I am leaving soon. That's right. So we're going to have a period of online again, but then I'm coming back. Coming back. Coming back, yes. I've studied and studied, and hopefully I'll be home soon. Well, Jay, wow. what are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? I guess this is my, my time to shine. hobby horse of sorts, mm. a niche interest, niche, niche. I don't know what to say with that. Nietzsche? <laughs> not that. Not <laughs> that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit broadly about apologetics, mm. defending the Christian faith, and then we're going to talk specifically about presuppositional apologetics. It's taking everything within me not to ding you for that so that you can explain it, but isn't that the entire podcast? Yep. So I'm holding back. Yeah, so that's just a big word. It's a, it's a, it's a really key word slash tricky phrase mm-hmm. that we're going to unpack for you all. Well, let's hope, yeah. So let's just start off because I feel like you know, when I was thinking about how we're going to do this, I think what came to mind first was, what's the likelihood that Christians haven't either heard of or are not very familiar with even the concept of apologetics? Because, I mean, even think like, right, I, I have a degree in biblical studies and then I, I'm getting an MDiv. In my, what has it been? Almost, it's going to be seven years of Christian education. I've taken one class on apologetics. So, like, it's not even something that I'm very familiar with. Interesting. Yeah. So, I I feel like maybe this is an area where we need to spend some time in the very, before we go into a specific path of it, just, like, talk about it. Yeah. It doesn't mean to be sorry. It's not apologizing for your faith. Yeah. So, that's maybe the the first inclination is that there's some sort of apology, but it's more in line with defending the faith. Mm -hmm. It's... Showing that it's a, I guess, rigorous intellectual pursuit, right? It's, it's not a fairy tale, all right? Uh, it's showing Christianity's validity, maybe compared to another religion or another belief, or showing that, hey, again, like, what we believe is true. Yeah. Would you say it's like argumentation Yes. for our faith? Yes. And, you know, it can get very scholarly, like I said, where you have professional debates. Mm, James they, White. Woo-woo. Yeah, and uh, another famous apologist is 
a man named William Lane Craig. Yeah. Who, again, he uses terms like the ontological argument or the teleological mm-hmm. argument. And, and some fans love it. He's, again, like a philosopher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say William Lane Craig is, is even – I hope this isn't offensive. I don't mean it. But, like, he's more philo- a philosopher than even a theologian, in my opinion. I agree. And some – I've actually heard this said by – I think another podcast. I forget one. People said they didn't even think William Lane Craig was a Christian. And, yeah. I mean – Hey, Molinism's not that bad, is if it? You, if you listen to what he says, it sounds like – he didn't come to faith maybe in the conventional manner. No, but, no, definitely. Um, regardless, we're getting kind of off topic here. But this is say, so apologetics is defending your faith, proving it, showing it to others that it's a truth, a truth indeed. But it it's important to distinguish between sharing your faith mm-hmm. and defending it. On my notes, which are there's like. Only six words on here because I wrote them <laughs> while we were talking. One of them is is just apologetics, evangelism, question mark. Because, I mean, I think that is a valid place to even start stirring some thoughts is, all right, you're saying defend my faith, but I'm not looking to defend. I'm, I'm on the offense. I'm, I'm trying to convince people. I don't even know if that's what, what we should be talking. Um, let me say it very bl- plainly. What's the difference between apologetics and evangelism? Sure. I think you're right in saying that one is more offensive and one is more defensive. But at the same time, I think they can be paired together yeah. pretty well. You don't have to reconcile friends, right, to quote Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. So when I think about sharing my faith, right, it's, yeah. it can be more personal, but it, 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 it's explaining the gospel. Yeah. I think it's a good way to say summarize sharing your faith, right? It's, I'm a sinner and, you know, we need Christ, the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection. And you explain that to someone that might have never heard it before or yeah. may have forgotten it or whatever. Uh, or might not be, may not be living by it or living like they believe it. Whereas apologetics is an atheist coworker that sees the Bible verse that you've got, like, you know, on your desk and says like, well, you believe that book of fairy tales? I could just write something and call it the Bible, and would you believe it then? I don't work in a secular workplace, but is that how they sound? Uh, no. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> but you get the idea. Playing up the camera. So you could, you'd say, oh no, like I have reasons to believe yeah. this. A lot of times people will go to evidences, say, well, you know, archaeological evidence mm-hmm. indicates that there really was a great flood or there really was, you know, a tower of Babel or whatever. Yeah. Right. But there's other ways to do it too. Like use of like logic and reasoning. You can point people to the, the necessity of a, of a creator. Yeah. Right. Or you can point to the validity of the Bible point to like various different things. So maybe that's how I would answer your question yeah. about one versus the other. So, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, well, I think it's interesting. Would you even say that apologetics can be, well, I do agree that they are two different terms mm. when we loosely use evangelism, right? Just as generally mm. the sharing the gospel and everything that goes into it. Could you say apologetics can and can be a very valid and helpful part of evangelism? Oh, yeah. So you say like, hey, like Jesus died for your sins. You have sins. You will go to hell. Yes. And then from that, I mean, you can also say, and this isn't just a fairy tale. Look to historical 
like we have these evidences. Uh, Gary Habermas's uh, 12 Reasons to Believe the Resurrection of Jesus Christ is a very famous argument and actually a Liberty professor for a while. So very hmm. cool. That can actually be really helpful in evangelism. It's yes. like, hey, the resurrection is well accepted by even non-Christians. And then you say, oh, then maybe I should listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that will talk about how that was like a very big piece in their faith yeah. journey, right? They were like, was it Lee Strobel? Oh, yeah, Lee Strobel is the big story. Well, he's like, he sets out to disprove Christianity, right? <laughs> uh-huh. he's like, he was like an investigative journalist or yep. like that. And he's like, well, I just wanted to go and like prove once for all, like this was just a bunch of lies. And he ended up becoming a Christian because he studied it. There's a lot with C.S. Lewis that involves that. Mm-hmm. It's like heavy thinking yeah. wrestled him into faith. Again, to think that they're like these completely diametrically opposed concepts is kind of a interesting. Oh, I guess it's, a, it's a, maybe a false dichotomy that they're they're different or that different, perhaps. So. Yeah, and when I think that. I, I want to pursue this a little bit further. Do it. Go on. So apologetics and evangelism, is it wrong, right? It's, I'm going to give you a third option. Is it a wrong thing to consider apologetics and evangelism as the academic versus the layperson or the, the normal Christian? Is that wrong? Is that right? Or is that unfortunately true, but it shouldn't be? Oh, man. It, it doesn't have to be that much of a split. And in some cases, I think apologetics is a way that maybe personally, but it sometimes it has an appeal. It's a, it's a subset of theology yeah. more generally. It's like more appealing. Really? Because, interesting. and maybe, I mean, maybe this is a completely personal note, but like, you know, when you see people out there in the world, right. That are like all these brainiacs, sometimes and again, I guess I can speak for myself only. You think, oh, like Christianity, is it just, are there no scientists that are like out there like showing Christianity is true? Like, yeah. It's a way to like, way to show the, the, the intellectual rigor of Christianity. It's not, again, purely just like, oh, well, you just believe in some God that's out there. And yeah. it's all this belief and it's not fantasy. Exactly. Um, so the fact that, again, Christians can be really smart people that, you know, have a bunch of letters behind their name. And yeah. They can say, no, like the laws of logic, you can use them to show this. And Yeah, it's not fantasy. It's not blind faith, right? Yes. Uh, I think I just referenced him earlier, but very short, uh, quick. But Anselm, right? Like when, you're, when people sum up Anselm's theology, and he was a, a scholastic Catholic theologian, right? People sum it up very clearly as faith working itself out in reason. Yeah. That's how he viewed the world was... I do have faith and I'm not going to be able to prove everything, but this is a reasonable belief. I can reason my way to God. And that's why when we talk about Anselm and I say he's very frustrating, it's because he does reason his way to God, very small steps a lot of times. But I mean, that that's valid. That's an important part of what we do. Mm-hmm. So I guess I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just shooting them from the hip here. <laughs> This is my my lax day where I get to just attack you. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel about that, but <laughs> I feel great. Yeah. So, um, do you want to move into presuppositional apologetics? So, if we're saying what is apologetics, mm-hmm. apologetics is the defense of Christianity. Which I don't know. I take a caveat with that. I feel like it's not just the defense; it is the offense. Yeah. I mean, 
you do in evangelism, go to someone and say, Hey, you're inconsistent. This is a consistent belief. That's offensive. That's offensive, but it's also offense. Yes. <laughs> but uh, apologize is the defense and offense of the faith, according to reason and ev- evidences and other things. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess before we get too far into it, I think there's like the, the classic apologetics verse that we need to share. Because, oh, you know, it. you know, might as well get it out there. Maybe the, question might be like okay jay and josh why is this important why should i care about apologetics is it just jay's academic theology hobby yeah. like is he just you it's know just the way you like to do it yeah we have some biblical grounds here uh, which upon which we trod upon which we trod <laughs> first peter three fifteen tells us but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Cough, cough. You have to emphasize that with the cough. Yes. Gentleness um, and respect, cough, cough. So there's a lot, there's a, there's a couple different segments to that. Yeah. Sometimes get omitted. Uh, that is very true. But this is kind of like the banner verse for apologetics, right? It's, it tells Christians, right? Hey, be able to have an answer for those that might have question yeah. you, right? It's it's a call to be prepared, a, a call to to study. Well, it's also where the word apologetics comes from. Uh, the is. word for defense is apologos, which is literally from logic or from the word. Yeah. Again, there's other helpful tidbits in there, right? Yeah. I always love, uh, and I think we've talked about this before because it's my, like, my favorite part of the verse is, yeah, okay, it's cool. Like the whole make a defense to anyone who asks you, but for a reason for the hope that is in you. I love that. I think that's such a powerful part is like, I don't think that this is an intellectual pursuit. And by that, I mean like so scholastic and disconnected and academic that it's like not helpful. Like this is very raw in that we're like defending our, our longing endurance until the Lord Jesus comes back. Yeah. And it's this defense of what we love. And I think going back to our kind of apologetics and evangelism, evangelism tie Anyone that's evangelizing is probably running into these questions. Yeah. Like, I know, I've had instances at work where it's like, okay, like you're a Christian. Cool. Like what makes you believe that like, you're saying it's true versus yeah. anything else? And that, that's a fundamentally an apologetic question. Oh, yeah. So. And that's, I think that's tr- interesting to think about because I make the argument to people all the time that no matter what you're doing, you are being a theologian. I think it might be true that I'll. Much of what we do, we might not call apologetics, but it is, in fact, apologetics. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So, First Peter 3, 15 is kind of the easy verse to go to. The classic. For apologetics. Yeah. But with that, I guess we'll pivot back to maybe the presuppositional hmm. approach to apologetics. Because there's more than one. Yeah. There's a more evidential. I've heard the term classical thrown around. Yeah, uh, I don't exactly know what that is, to be honest. So it's my understanding that there's evidential or evidentiary, mm-hmm. which is based on, again, showing evidences. Then there's classical, something separate. Okay. And, and then there's presuppositional, like the big three. Okay. And none of them are wrong, yes. right? They're yes. approaches to defense. Yeah. They, and again, it's not like we have ones trying to prove that. Jesus isn't really God or something like that. Yeah. Right? Like they're, they all have the same aim. They're different tactics. And there's debate up on like which is the most efficient efficient or like 
quote unquote like legitimate or like the mm-hmm. best way to do it. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that more. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, the other two, like so evidentiary is more hey, the archaeology shows this. It's pointing to concrete evidences. Classical is a little bit more like logic based. Yeah. Where you say, like, you know, God's given us tools like logic and reason to use as a defense. So you can rely upon more argumentation to prove something. So, so you, would ontological, teleological, cosmological be in there? Yes. You didn't ding me on any of them, but I'm going to freely offer. Well, yeah. Okay. Ontological is an argument from the just from the essence of God, which I would wonder if that has something to do with pre-sub. Teleological is essentially looking at the purpose of the world and arguing that this purpose evidences a creator. And then cosmological is looking at our world and saying this evidence is a creator, which those are super basic explanations and they fall very, very far short. But Yeah, you can really get lost down the rabbit hole with those. Mm-hmm. But they're cool. I mean, they're really yeah. interesting. They stand up to, again, academic rigor. Yeah. Or philosophical rigor or whatever. But we're here to talk about the Pre-sup. crown jewel. <laughs> the crown jewel. Oh. I didn't know we were talking about royalty here. It's interesting. Before we even get into it, let's just talk about how did you get into it? Well. Because, I mean, like... <laughs> This is not something that you would just like be reading your Bible and go, oh, presuppositional apologetics. <laughs> well, you know, as many anecdotes on this podcast come back to, it started with Jeff Durbin YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> so for those unfamiliar with Mr. Durbin's work, he is big on YouTube. He has a number of videos where yeah. he and some folks from his church or his ministries would just go out on the street and witness the people yeah. in a way that is almost caricatured in a lot of churches. Again, perhaps only personal experience, but the idea that you're just going to walk up to somebody on the street and start talking yeah. about Jesus, like that's like the example that always gets used. Like, well, you're not just going to go walk up to somebody. Like, you have to <laughs> make friends with them and build relationships. Buy them the church. Free evangelism. Indeed. This guy just goes for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, And as I watched a couple of those videos, you know how YouTube algorithms work. You get recommendations that are from his channel. and You get sucked into it really quick. Yeah. It's addictive. But he has videos that talk about how to defend your faith. And he's a proponent of this method. Yeah. So he was talking about it. And he probably used the official term, but... Kind of interested me because I had never heard someone talk and reason in this manner yeah. before. I always thought that, oh, you've got to just be this person that studies and studies all these evidences and memorizes these arguments. Mm-hmm. But those are it's challenging. You have to have yeah. time and energy and resources to, to learn all this stuff. And, you know, there's always somebody that's going to be smarter just that bit smarter absolutely and you know you you pose an argument you pose some of these things to someone and so what do they do counterpoint they go they go home and they study it hard and they come back to you and say well i found this Mm -hmm. but no this was different this was something that you know equipped with a knowledge it wasn't a new belief that i no yeah it was making it all coherent it was like Hey, do I believe that, you know, God is in control and God's created everybody and 
God's word is authoritative? Absolutely. And so the this method almost weaponized that yeah. <laughs> uh, to say it in such a way, perhaps. But it gave some teeth to that. It's like, well, these are beliefs I already hold, and I can use those as a way to defend my faith. That's, yeah. It stands up to scrutiny. Now, so I think some would quibble with that. But. Yeah. But let's get into it. Yeah. So what is presuppositional apologetics? Can you give us a... I know we're going to explain it for a while, but can yeah. you give us like a, a layman's definition? Okay. So we already talked about apologetics broadly. Mm-hmm. Presuppositional. That's the, maybe the key word that unlocks this. So I looked it up. A All presupposition right. is a thing tacitly assumed mm-hmm. beforehand at the beginning of a line of argument or course of action. Yeah. So what does that mean for us? A thing tacitly assumed beforehand at the beginning of our line of argument, we are assuming the existence of God. Yeah. More or less. That's like our foundation. That and maybe from that, that God's, that, you know, the Bible is God's word and that that is authoritative. So we start from that point. It's not a question. There were videos I was listening to or you know, talks I was listening to in preparation for this. And the guy pulls out quips from famous Christians that say things like, what's the one thing you can't use to prove the Bible's real? The Bible. The Bible. Or like, what's the one thing you can't use to prove like Christianity? The Bible. Yeah. And this approach is different. This approach accepts the circle circular reasoning charge. And, and I don't mean by accept. I mean, they just, they don't say, okay, never mind when that's leveled at them. Correct. They don't run from the Bible. No. They say, this is our starting point because this is God's word. Because if God is who he says he is in the Bible, then he is the, he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the foundation It's not our own thoughts. We don't judge that God is real. God created us. Who are we to say, oh, you don't exist or show me the evidence, right? Who are you, oh man? Indeed. We don't put God on trial. Okay. It's not for us to scrutinize. That's the crux of this argument. If God is who he says he is in his word, then you have to start with that belief. That's that, that's before you even get into argumentation. Yeah. And, and so the difference between that and, let's say, the cosmological, teleological, and ontological arguments is that this is going to start with God exists. He created the world. The Bible is true. And so we can use the Bible to defend the Bible because it, it just, in fact, is true. We're not going to question that. Yes. Uh, whereas cosmological starts with creation, teleological starts with creation, and ontological starts with a philosophical, logical chain, right? Mm-hmm. So this is going to start with Genesis 1-1, and it's going to say, God made the heavens and the earth, In right? In the beginning. Yeah, and that's not to belittle those, but like, it's just to show the difference, right? Like, yes. this is going to start with Genesis 1-1, and it's going to work its way to Revelation 22 Yes, that's last chapter. Yeah, I'm always worried that it's going to be 21. I do that with Jordan's birthday because it's (laughs) November 
30. I never remember Ooh. if it starts on the 30. You better no, I just, I stop ne- talking before you no. incriminate yourself before all these listeners. Oh, trust me, she knows. But like, I don't remember <laughs> if November 30th is the last day or 31st. And I know Jordan's birthday is on the last day of November. Nice. <laughs> That's how I feel about Revelation. Okay, 22. Yeah, so you start with Genesis 1 and you end in Revelation 21, 22 and you say like, this is where I'm starting. Yeah. All of my arguments come from this. Yes. Okay. Because with the arguments you've mentioned, they use logic as mm-hmm. the ultimate standard. Yeah. They say, hey, unbeliever, or hey, whoever, questioner of Christianity, we have this common ground of logic. Of logic. And so mm-hmm. let me use logic as the neutral totem pole by which we measure what is true and what is untrue. Mm-hmm. And that that that's fair in the degree that we do believe God created logic. Yeah, logic is a thing. It, it does exist, and so you can argue from it. Now, what is the common ground in a presuppositional view between? So, if the common ground is logic, but in in let's say classical or evidential, what is it in presupp? Oh well, there probably isn't much common ground. That's really kind of the doubt. Like that's kind of when you get down to brass tacks. It's the idea that everyone has a worldview, mm-hmm. everyone has their own biases, isn't there a way to say that? That we each view the world differently. And so presuppositionalism says that our foundation is fundamentally different than yours. Yeah. So that when I stand over here and I have my presuppositional colored goggles on and you have your other worldview goggles on and we look at the same piece of evidence or the same arguments, we yeah. will never even... We can never agree because we see the world fundamentally differently. And I think that, can I be honest? I think that that's one of the greatest weaknesses of Christians today is they don't understand worldview. They don't understand the concept. They don't understand how to use it. They don't know how to, how to use it as a tool or even to use it as a way of understanding other people. Yeah. And so I, I actually would like you to, for a moment, just explain what a worldview is. Uh, and I can, I can help you with my own <laughs> definition. I know I, I get to ask all the questions, which means I'm exempt from all the answers, but I'll help you out. All the I like asking the questions. It's fun. I know. But, but yeah, no, I, so I can kind of give my own thoughts on it too. But I do, I do think this is really important and often missed. It's kind of in the name. How people view the world. Okay, yeah. And that, you know, that, that can come down to whether or not you believe Oh, humans are innately good. Mm. Or humans are innately bad. Yeah. So, we're, like, there is a God. There is no God. Like, that, that's. So, these are like almost the starting questions. The answers to the starting questions. Sort of. Yeah. I've, I've heard it described as a, as uh, lenses, which is how you described it, yeah. meaning like this is the things that shape how you see the world. And that means not only if you see something or not, or if you see something as it is or not, but also what you see as large and important and small and unimportant. So like yes. lenses emphasize as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard it described as a web, meaning that like it's every single belief you hold is your worldview. And then I've also heard it described, I forget what the illustration is, maybe a chain or something where the, the bigger and more important and more foundational uh, beliefs then affect all the other beliefs and then as a total, it, it changes how you see mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. So maybe to undergird some of this stuff that I'm throwing out there, I want to go back to the Bible, right? Because we, we like the Bible. We sure do. So when you look at Romans 1, 
there's some pretty insightful texts, mm. I'll say. Chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're going to maybe stick that arrow in our cap for the moment. All right. Um, but then, this is anywhere more aligned with the worldview stuff, but verse 18 talks about what says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So that is God's word. And what does it tell us about all men? That everything that can be known about God from nature, I'm assuming, in this passage, is known. Yeah, it kind of tells us that atheism isn't real, kind of. Yeah, the system <laughs> right? is, but somebody who down to their core doesn't believe in a God does not exist. Yeah, like, it, I mean, again, this might spur some questions from the, the incredulous listeners. Yeah. But I fundamentally believe that the Bible describes an unbeliever better than an unbeliever describes himself. Yeah. Because what does it tell us? It tells us that they, they, they know the truth, but they suppress it in unrighteousness. Yeah. So the, the beautifully conceived analogy that is not my own. I cannot take credit for this, but it's the idea of like holding like a beach ball, right? And think about it. You're at the pool right. and you got your beach ball. Yeah. And you jump in the water with it. And that beach ball, you have to hold it down to keep it underneath the water. Like, yeah. you know I mean, like it's, it's, if you push it underneath the water, it tends, you have to hold it and like restrain it to keep it from popping up out of the water. Right. Yeah. And that's how we can think about this, that, it's suppressing the truth is literally holding that beach ball down underneath the water. So it's active, not passive. Yeah. I mean, it is technically passive, mm-hmm. but it isn't. It is a choice, uh, maybe. It, it, it is an action of the person. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're held accountable for it, right? Because it says you're without excuse. And that's why I wonder if this is an important point to drill home is if you're like, no, I disagree. Then the Bible says, like, this is why. There is no one with an excuse. So it's dangerous to disagree with this. Because, so so let's walk that out though. Yeah. So if people are with an excuse, Mm -hmm. hey, there's like tribes in these remote islands that like they don't have outside contact with the world. Like we need to, we got to send missionaries to them, right? Yeah. But if they have an excuse. Then sending missionaries is dooming them. Yeah. Because, hey. You know, I just don't know about God, so he can't, you know what I mean? I'm not accountable to his judgment. But if somebody comes and tells me that all of a sudden my ignorance is no more, like I'm not ignorant anymore. So it's not an excuse. And so you're condemning them. Yeah. Unless unless they believe, of course. But but that's a very fair argument 
I've made multiple times to people is, is this, this way of viewing people as totally innocent and with an excuse biblically doesn't work out. Yes. And even logically doesn't pan out well. So everyone starts and everyone continues all the way till death as believing in God and yet suppressing the truth. So believing in God is a careful word we have to do. They, they know God exists. They, yes. have, they have a knowledge of God. They know what can be known. Of his existence, right? Yes. The way this gentleman, his name is Sy, S-Y-E, 10, T-E-N, Bruggenkate. Ooh, Sy 10 Bruggenkate. And he's with the apology of Jeff Bergen. Oh, really? But he was talking about, you know, the difference between like a non-believer and a believer isn't that one believes in God and one doesn't. It's that they both know about God, but one's following him and one's not. Yeah. So going back to our passage here, the idea of unrighteousness, right? That it's, it's, it's a choice. It's choosing sin, right? It's yeah. choosing, well, I like, you know, I, I like my sin. I like my sin. And if you continue to read Romans 1, it talks about how God gives people over to their sinful desires, right? Yeah. Like that people want it. And God grants them it. They, they want to continue in their sin. And so that's what God gives them. Right? He gives them up to the lusts of their heart, right? It says in verse 24. Or to their dishonorable passions in 26. Or debased mind, right? Yes, that's, those, those, those are the three. So it's this idea that as you continually sin, right, that you are like hardening your heart, your own heart, right? Yeah. Your, your, your foolish heart is darkened is the, is the, the terminology used in the text. But big takeaway is perhaps that God exists. Yeah. And everybody kind of – everybody knows. And, and I they find choose it, not to. Is, yeah. I find it interesting that in verse 32 it also says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them to, but give approval to those who practice them. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I find that interesting. Romans 1 – Would you argue also that part of the presuppositional idea of man is that they also – so I'm going to use C.S. Lewis's terms here. They also have a moral tau, meaning that all men knows in some form the law of God upon their hearts. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's your conscience, right? Yeah. We know that there are some things that are bad and some things that are good. And when you feel guilty, oftentimes that's your conscience. Yeah. And I can't point to the exact text, but the Bible talks about your conscience. And it says you're supposed to you condition it, right? You're supposed yeah. to, to follow it. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's molded by the reading of God's word and understanding. And But, yeah, I mean, you know, you can see it talks about seared consciences, mm-hmm. too, where if you continually, you know, do bad things and continue to sin, then your conscience is completely warped. So, yeah, you have a mixed or a uh, blurred vision about what is right and what is wrong fundamentally. So that's basically that's that's the basic view. I think. Yeah, if, you, if there's anything basic about that. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, that's a world-spanning cosm- cosmic view. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, for presuppositional apologetics, this is the basic building block, right? Is the idea that all man knows and suppresses the truth of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you build from that? How does this become an apologetic? Okay, so maybe going back to verse 16 that I quoted earlier where it talks about, Paul writes that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Mm-hmm. So the gospel is the power of God 
for salvation. So that is, that's what we believe, right? We, yeah. we, you know, it's easy to look at this and say like, well, you know, if you just tell an unbeliever, like you just quote Bible verses to them, like it might not have any, any effect. Right. But we know we're using the right methodology. We, we trust the process. Yeah. The result isn't guaranteed. But I mean, we're called to preach Christ. For we Christ know crucified. this is, again, the gospel is, it's the power of God, right? It's not, it's not our own doing. It's, so that's maybe more of our, the application, right? That is always be preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that, right? We shouldn't be, we shouldn't run from that. We shouldn't see mm-hmm. other method, other methodologies can work. But right, like <laughs> fundamentally, we know that there's power in preaching the gospel. Yeah, because God tells us, and it's not our not our power, but God's power for salvation to anyone to everyone who believes. So, okay, so I'm starting to grasp the, the undercurrent, yeah. but I want to I want to surface at this point. Yeah, how are we how are we getting to how this works? How this works? So, because right now, so I'm I'm standing in for a listener who's never heard of presuppositional apologetics. Yeah. I have, in fact, heard of presuppositional yeah. apologetics. I don't know that much, so I maybe I, I am very much the the un unlearned person in this conversation. Yeah. All I know so far is that all people know that God exists. Mm-hmm. Now, how does presuppositional apologetics use that as a, as a basis for actual defense of the faith? Sure. So there's certain maybe things you can point to, right? The idea of morality mm. is a concept that draws upon this argument, perhaps, where there's like a universal understanding of kind of what right and wrong is. Again, different societies have different like laws and stuff like that, but everyone I think would admit that laws aren't always the best indicator <laughs> of morality. But yeah. the idea of murder has universally throughout history been seen as a bad thing. Yeah. And sometimes it's justified, but it always has to be justified. Mm -hmm. And where do you get that? Right. I think that's something that points to a presupposition of God. Right. Or like we talked about earlier, the laws of logic are something that when an atheist tries to appeal to them or an unbeliever, I guess I don't want to get too specific, but an unbeliever points to all laws of logic. They say, well, this doesn't make sense. Why does it have to make sense? Yeah. You seem to be grasping for something that's, that's true. Truth doesn't matter apart from God. That's a big piece of presuppositional apologetics, or maybe apologetics generally, mm. that you have to know when the others, your opposition, is borrowing from your worldview, mm. right? An example I think of is, well, the God, God in the Old Testament kills children because they disappear their parents or strikes them down or has them mauled by bears or whatever. I wouldn't want to follow a God that does something that bad yeah. or that is that evil or is that he's a tyrant or whatever. Like, well, you're, you're appealing to it like a right and a wrong. And so where does that come from? Is that, yeah. is that you say that I agree with you, but like, I, I, am I, am I bound by your morality? Yeah. Like, I mean, so there's like, so just to maybe put it in even closer terms, I think about the debate James White had with, I believe his name was Dr. Clark, the one that made, offered him to drink poison, which yeah. was a, a very interesting. And everyone focused on that part. Yeah. But the other guy, who was much nicer and much more calm, he was just, 
I hate to use destroyed because it's it's a debate. It's formal. It's not mean spirited. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, his arguments were destroyed by just the question of are you a materialist? And that's a worldview. It's the idea that only material things exist. Your thoughts are not actually an immaterial thing. They are just electrons and energy, right? Mm-hmm. And he was asked, do you believe in transcend, trans, absolute, trans, absolute, absolute truth? Yeah. Transcendent truth. And he said, yes. And you can't have both. Yes. And essentially that was presuppositional argument because he said, listen, you are borrowing from a worldview that is not yours and is completely against yours. So your worldview is inconsistent. Yeah. And would you say that that is a large part of what a poly- presuppositional apologetics does is saying, here is consistency, here is inconsist- inconsistency? Yes. The classic question is always, by what standard? Mm. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. By what standard? By what standard? Right? Um, again, it, it points back to an ultimate standard. That is mm-hmm. God, we, we argue, right? But I think you hit on something good there. Like a, a materialistic worldview, right? Where everything is purely just like atoms bumping into atoms. Mm-hmm. And like, everything's human, matter. Humans are purely just dancing to our DNA is a way to talk about it. Yeah. To use terminology from that same debate, atheists or materialists or whoever lose by showing up. Because yeah. they, but you know, because if they want to debate what's what's true and untrue, that assumes some level of truth that can be understood and like universally shared. Because you know, if if we're the, <laughs> the illustration is a bottle of Coke, like a bottle of Pepsi, right? And you shake them both up, and they start you know foaming and fizzing, <laughs> and which 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 one of those two are, are right? What? <laughs> exactly. Because if we're just purely humans and like all our thoughts uh, are yeah. just chemical fizz, then there's no right and there's no wrong. Yeah. It's just is, right? As I say in a very snarky manner, and maybe it's not a nice for debates, is if everything is matter, nothing matters. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, right, that's kind of it. And so I want to I wanna go, go deep in this part because I think when in my understanding presuppositionalists apologetics this is the the meat this is where people ought to pay attention to most is you set us up with romans right with everyone suppresses the truth so presuppositional apologetics in debate and defense and offense is expecting people no matter their worldview to be inconsistent because they will borrow from the idea of a god because all people believe uh all people know that there is a god they're all right. No, they're God. They're all made in the image of God. So we can expect, no matter what, that people will be inconsistent because they will always, in some way, borrow from the idea of God. Yes, and that's how presuppositional apologetics works. Right? Is it debates from, hey, I already know that you are going to cap are going to bend towards my worldview, right? Yeah. Uh, I just want to make sure because, in my understanding, of presuppositional apologetics, that's the focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was. This is yeah, a lot more again, like the application based. Okay, um, but it's scenario based because mm-hmm. obviously it's not just an argument you memorize or pieces of evidence that you memorize, but it's a way of answering questions, right? There's um, the same gentleman, Cy Ten Brookingate. Cy Ten Brookingate. It's quite a name. It um, is. So he played this clip where he was debating, or he was talking about this guy, and he said, 
this guy's yelling at him and he's, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, it's all fake. He's like, well, around Christmas time, do you go to the mall and berate the guy dressed up like Santa Claus for deceiving all these children? Yeah. Because that's what, you know, it's kind of like you're doing this with me because you're saying, oh, like that's not real. He's like, well, I don't do that because I know that Santa's not real. I know he's not real. And that's why I don't go punch him in the face. I don't. don't." Yeah. So it's like, then do you believe that God is real? And so, yeah, I, I think the idea here is, again, exposing people to the own, their own inconsistencies in the way that they live their life hmm. in the way that the, the, their thought patterns as a big piece of it. So my concern in doing, in doing this podcast, and I know I was actually the one who suggested that we do it, but my concern in suggesting it was I wanted to make sure that one of my fears as even a pastor, future pastor, I shouldn't say pastor, is that someone will hear something I say judge it to be academic and then therefore write themselves out of it, right? So immediately they'll say, this isn't for me. I don't believe presuppositional apologetics is disconnected from the Christian's everyday life. And actually in some of our conversations, I've been really encouraged in the fact that like, I don't know, there's this wonderful gift of I can do this. Mm. So let's take it to the person. Yeah. So how in everyday life does presuppositional apologetics help us to glorify God, defend our faith, and share our faith? And you don't have to use those categories, but just like mm-hmm. in general, what is the – how do we put this tool in the hands of the masses? Because that's that, – not to go on a rant. You wanted a rant, but I'll give you like a tiny <laughs> little mini rant is one of my rants that – one thing that I feel very strongly about – is that a lot of Christians are depriving themselves of the greatest tools that Christianity has to offer for Christian living, for Christian uh, belief, for Christian encouragement, assurance, for debate, for evangelism, for anything. that They're depriving themselves of tools because they write things off as academic, scholastic, uh, intellectualism, or not for me. And I would argue that academics are doing a disservice to lay people by encouraging that mentality. And so that's my rant. There you go. You had a rant. You're happy. Sort of. Uh, yeah. No, no yelling. There's no, yelling. <laughs> There's no pouting either. But I want this, like really, really want this to be something that we can say at the end of the day, here, use it. Like be better at what you, at the purpose Christ has given you because you have heard this. Man. I know that's a lot to put on you, but I, good, I do though. believe that this is something it's that good. you can do. So I think the, oh man, let me find it. There's a key to it in the beginning of our first verse that we, we quoted today. First Peter 3.15? Indeed. Where it says, oh wait, I'm in the wrong chain. I'm in the wrong Peter. You're in the wrong Peter. Where is it? Um, That's the crazy we, Peter. We like the we like First Peter. Second Peter's crazy Peter. Application starts with First Peter three fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Mm. So that that's where you start honoring the Lord as holy, recognizing Him as Lord, understanding that He is authoritative, and not budging on that. Yeah, not surrendering that in any kind of secular con. You know, secular yeah. conversation, if you will. Um, and so, yeah, when people get upset, it could be, uh, oh, that's so stupid. That's unfair. I can't believe that. Like, that's just wrong. Like, you hear people talk about, like, use these terms. Like, 
why is it wrong? You know, just, just, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be accusatory. Mm-hmm. Just gently like, hey man, like, why does that bother you? Right? Yeah. Well, well, you know, I just don't think, well, like, you know, if, if it's just, you don't, if you don't think they should do it, like, why are, are they bound by like what you think? Yeah. Or like, is that like actually wrong? Like, is, 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 is stealing money from the government or whoever, right? Like, or cheating on your whatever, like college admissions, if you will. Like, yeah. is that, is that wrong? Is that, I mean, like, is that like absolutely wrong? Like, or do you just, you just think so? Like, if you just think so, like, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, right? I, I might agree, but like, but who are you to say yeah, but what is wrong? Or is there right and they're wrong? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's rec- it's reconciling what you believe that, you know, what the, like a lot of Christians would agree, like it's, it's just rec- reconciling that with the world around you mm-hmm. and, and like asking these questions. Right. And then what do we do? We, we, we bring the gospel to people. Yeah. You know, because we believe that's powerful. And as we've said, it's not a guaranteed result that you're gonna have this crazy revival in this person's life. But it's also foolish to say that if you don't see any tangible result, that it didn't do anything. Yeah. Because we understand that we reap and we sow and like, you know, you, you never know where you are in that process. When you, yeah. you know, you're, you're sowing the seeds, you're, you're watering the seeds, or you're, you're harvesting the seeds. Yeah. So when you have trust in God, a sovereign God, for salvation, which is the point we need to get to, but you can take heart in knowing that obedience is all God asks. He doesn't ask you to produce conversion. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a book that I was leaning over your head to read <laughs> on my, my bookshelf. It's called Questioning Evangelism by Newman. I just re- wanted to remember the author. Is it Randy? Yeah, Randy Newman. And it's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's my like top pick for the best evangelism book. And I think it has some weaknesses and some strengths. One of its strengths is just emphasizing that if you made someone realize the inconsistency of their worldview, or to say it in the way I think the book does, if you made someone realize that they're standing on shoddy foundation, that's a great, that's a victory, right? If you're with a materialist and they leave and say, I don't know where I get morality from. I I genuinely don't know where I get morality from. That's a victory because that's part of evangelism is making people realize that there is a consistent worldview. There is a, there is something that makes sense. It has the answers. Yes. It provides. Right. And, and so I, I think that I really appreciate that. And that evangelism book is just saying like presuppositional apologetics might not, if you're sharing the gospel and you use presuppositional apologetics to back yourself up, uh, cause we're not suggesting just presuppositional apologetics with no gospel, of course. Yes. And you leave and you say, wow, they didn't abandon their worldview when they saw the cracks. That's okay. Like seeing the cracks is a powerful move. I mean, so like C.S. Lewis tortured himself over trying to figure out the cracks, right? So many Christians have this testimony where they said, I saw inconsistency and it tortured me for a while. And then eventually I gave it to God because he was consistent. So I I don't know. I think that that's a a helpful heart is that take heart in this is good work yeah and maybe a a parting piece here is the end of Mm -hmm. first peter 3 15 because again we we believe that we don't believe we know right that this is truth the bible is truth and like these argumentations 
are true. That, that other worldviews aren't consistent. They break down. They yeah. can't save you. And so we know we're right. And that should never, though, be a cause for our own arrogance or we should never be as we should always be careful in these conversations. And I guess I'll read the verse now. First Peter three fifteen again it says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So that's the last piece is the important one that I'm trying to drive at here. Yeah. Where when you know you're right. It's just as important to do it with gentleness and respect yeah. because people don't like a know-it-all, right? Yeah. Like it's again a tendency that we skew towards. Yeah, um, I mean, even thinking about the way I phrased it, like that's a victory. If you think that in evangelism you win, you're wrong. Your opponent wins when they see the gospel. Like, if you're thinking about, like, I defeated them, you don't want them defeated. You want them victoriously accepting Christ and getting all the benefits of it. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, we're, in some cases, maybe shattering these people's worldviews. Oh, yeah. Their whole outlook on life has now been thrown into chaos. Disorder. That's not maybe the easiest thing to cope with. Yeah. So that's definitely not the time for gloating. Yeah. Well, I think about... uh, Man, I forget what Christian it is. It's, I don't even think it's a Christian that's that long dead. Maybe 1800s. Somebody, uh, a Christian I was reading, was asked, like, how do you disagree? Or how do you, like, argue or debate or, dis- or like, go, go against opposition? And he said, with wet eyes. And I think that that is a very powerful way of thinking. That's, like, what... What does it mean to like to be do to defend the faith with a with gentleness and respect, with wet eyes, like with sensitivity to like this is a life or death. Yeah, I, so, I, I, I love you so much, and I hate this. Yeah. I, I know the path you're on, and it like tears me up to see that you're in peril. Yeah, because I love you so much, and I want you to be. Yeah, we don't saved. want other people to be deceived. Yes. So that is presuppositional apologetics. Well, that is maybe the tip of the iceberg of presuppositional yeah, apologetics. Go Google like Jeff Durbin or Greg Bonson. Oh yeah, that's one of your favorites. B-A-H-N-S-E-N. Bonson. And I would recommend if you want to see it on display and how effective presuppositional apologetics are, look up James White. Is it crazy atheist? I Ang- hate that it's angry atheist. Yeah, it's such a clickbaity title, but it's a debate where genuinely the atheist in the room recognizes that they can't win with presuppositional. Because remember the whole entire time he says, I didn't show up to debate presuppositional apologetics. I didn't show up to debate presuppositional apologetics. You can't bring up presuppositional apologetics. I wouldn't have taken the – Yeah. I wouldn't have you know done this. I had known you guys were going to do this. Yeah, which the question that you leave that debate with is – is it because he doesn't think it's true or because he do- he realizes that there's no way out? And I honestly think that it's the latter. Like he re- It's not that he thinks presuppositional apologetics doesn't work logically because it does. It's that he realizes that it genuinely – how do you win? Yeah. You can't as an atheist. Mm-hmm. You can maybe like beat someone up verbally, which he does, uh, but you can't logically win through it. Uh, it's a challenging – 
place, but it's a really good interview. So, I mean, not interview, debate. Uh, so I would highly recommend it. Highly. Stay to the end. There is there is a fun little bit at the end. Involves, uh, is it antifreeze? Yeah. <laughs> Classic. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap us up for today. Jay, thank you for being in the hot seat. I really appreciate it. Uh, right. You did really well. I hope. I'm really grateful for when we get to like kind of talk about something where... You know, one of us has has done some reading or has has yeah. a, an interest. You know, I feel like that that's a really fun thing, and I'm glad that we got to kind of let you talk about something that you really are interested in. And I certainly have learned a lot. I would just remind our listeners that we are now on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and, and on Google, Google Play. Play. Wow! Yes, trifecta. Mm-hmm. So you can see us on any of those. I know that I, I really like Spotify for podcasts, but Apple Podcasts works, Google Play works. If you want to link to it, you don't want to have to put it in the search bar. Then if you just click on the website, wreckandrighteous.org, and you go to podcast, you'll have a link to all three right there. So thank you for listening. And we'll see you next we'll week. See you next week. We'll see you next week.